All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome 8020 Baseball Coaches. Welcome to our weekly get together. It is always great being here every week with each one of you. You come here for a clear path to better coaching. You come here for an efficient path to better coaching. I've done 35 years of curating coaching strategies and I bring it all to you great listeners, you great coaches each week here on the podcast and through our website 8020baseball.com. Last week we wrapped up our summer interview sessions and I'm very pleased with the knowledge and actionable items those coaches shared out with all of us, Coach Brucker and Coach Klein. With that said, the challenge with just listening to interviews as a coach that's trying to learn more, as somebody who's trying to learn more and get better at coaching, the challenge with just listening to interviews, the challenge with only doing interviews as a podcast format is inherently the message will bounce around a lot. Again, I said challenge, not a problem, but the challenge, especially for almost all of you who are professionals, you have your day jobs, you're professionals in other areas, you're trying to get better at coaching, but you have a finite amount of time, not just in your day, but before the next season starts to get better. And a lot of you want to get a lot better. If you listen to five hitting coaches get interviewed, you might very likely hear five different hitting strategies shared out, or at a minimum, the tips and strategies will be shared using different wording and verbiage. So with interviews, not only the advice, but the wording of the message varies from person to person. This, as you all can see creates a lot of clutter in the mind. I know it does for me, creates a lot of clutter. It gives a lot of great ideas, but at the end of the day, it's like, all right, now I got 10 paths I can take. It's the paradox of choice. And some of you are familiar with that, the paradox of choice. The idea of having way too much choice is, is, is actually detrimental to our improvement and our path forward, as in this case, being great coaches. Great leaders, great coaches are decisive and have a clear vision of what they're going to do when they get out to the field during practice and games, and also how their team should evolve throughout the season. It is great to learn from a variety of proven coaches and strategies, no doubt about it. But it is really hard as a youth coach to go out there and use a dozen strategies at one time, much less over the course of a season. And the fact that this is the case led me to creating this podcast in 8020 Baseball. It is for youth coaches, albeit we do talk about advanced topics at times, though at the end of the day, we are here to guide primarily youth coaches towards a lot more success and as efficiently as possible. So I take my 35 years of studying baseball, playing baseball, coaching, studying coaches for all this time. I just, I started studying coaches when I first started playing sports. I don't know. I, was, I think I was a little odd in that sense where I would study the coaches as much as the other team. It's led me to this right here, of course, and I think it's been a calling since day one. And so what I've done is take the 35 years of studying baseball and studying coaches closely, the good and the bad, and in a lot of cases, is the coaches doing things I wouldn't recommend to any of you. And I try to bring you all the best coaching strategies in a clear and concise way. Played high school baseball at a high level, college baseball. I was drafted twice. I played pro ball. I was coached by two major league players before I even got to high school. My dad coached me and I learned a lot from my old man. My high school coach was a Hall of Fame coach. My college coach was a Hall of Fame coach. I spent four years at Long Beach State from 1999 to 2000. It was I, I enrolled in 1999. I played to 2000 to 2003 years at Long Beach State, obviously countless major leaguers, but the Hall of Fame coach when I went there, Coach Dave Snow, and in fact, the assistant coach, one of the assistant, he wasn't even an assistant. He was like a, what they call, whatever it is that's not even technically on the coaching payroll. I want to say like administrative assistant or something was 
coach Brandon Hyde. And Brandon Hyde is the manager for the Orioles now, who are having a resurgence this year. And they're the talk of much of baseball with how well they're doing after having some pretty bad seasons in the in the past. And to top off that college coach, uh, college baseball experience, the trainer at Long Beach State has been the Dodgers trainer for years. So you're the Dodgers trainer. That's one of the ideal. That's one of the, that's like a pinnacle job within the athletic training industry. I mean, there's countless other coaches that I had on my pitching coach in high school, my pitching coach in high school. So he's essentially like the third coach on a high school team. Coach Jeff Patterson is a high level scout, been a high level scout with the New York Yankees, very successful scout with the New York Yankees. So I mean, it could go on and on with the wisdom and experience that I'd been around and didn't even realize until later that I was the beneficiary of all this wisdom and knowledge. And then on top of that, the icing on the cake was throwing in 12 years of working inner city as a PE teacher, inner city Watts, Compton, North Long Beach, Paramount students, tough, tough area to try to get a group, a large group. I've shared out before, I taught a summer school class with 108 students in the class, 108. In fact, the cap was 75-ish for the district, but I kept signing off. I just wanted the kids in there. These were not your easy peasy kids. And that made me become really good really quick because if I didn't, I was going to get run out of Dodge and (laughs) I really wanted to be there, really wanted to have an impact. And so you got to get good real quick. You got to really improve fast and and, and be on top of your game if if you're going to make it. And if you're going to make it, and definitely if you're going to make an impact, a positive impact. I've been coaching for 15 years. So I've been in the trenches with all this from 6U all the way up to college and pro players. Now, even with that extensive background, learning how to be a good coach was no walk in the park. So with all that, learning to be a good coach has been no walk in the park. Coaching is no easy task and being a great coach is definitely no easy task. It requires the use of key coaching strategies in the right amounts and at the opportune times. It's a formula, it's the ingredients, the balance, the timing. That is why 8020 Baseball was built to take the task of being a coach and give all of you a clear path, a direct path to being really, really good at it. There were bumps, no doubt about it, and there will be bumps for you, no doubt about it. But being part of the 8020 Baseball community by coaching the 8020 way, you will have a direct path to success. Not always smooth, but at least it will be direct. I think about it like this. The GPS on your phone or in your car will give you the most direct route. Most of the time it gives you the most direct route. But even with that direct route given to you, that doesn't mean you're going to miss potholes. There's going to be potholes, especially if you live in LA. Just because the GPS gives you the most direct route to your destination, that doesn't mean you won't get cut off by a rude driver or tailgater is going to be behind you tight, etc. The GPS doesn't guarantee a perfectly smooth ride to your destination, but it does provide you the most direct path. And 8020 Baseball, myself, Coach Bo, we're here to take you to that destination of being a much better coach, creating a fun team environment, developing players into better ball players, better human beings, better people, and as icing on the cake, winning more games. So whether you're brand new to coaching or you've been in it a long time, you're in the right spot. We come out every week with a new episode. Coaching and being a better coach, just like anything in life, doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Showing up here each week for the 30-minute-ish episode that we put out is a great start. Go over to 8020baseball.com. Tons of information, articles, videos, a dozen articles that'll give you a clear and direct path. Everything works together. Everything jives together here at 8020 Baseball. Everything's in sync. So we've curated, we've taken all this wisdom and we've synced it up. 
Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go learn from other places. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I know your time is finite, it's precious. So I'm trying to give you a path that then you can add a little here, a little there, some ancillary information and strategies and tips, but you have a path. You have a path to get to being a great coach by showing up here, a clear path. So I wanted to start the episode today by saying that I have a couple tips here that I wanna get into. The first tip, this is something when it comes to picking players for your team or choosing players or adding players to a team. If you're the coach that gets to choose the players, tryouts, etc., there's some undervalued players out there when it comes to those players that are very coachable, hard workers that will listen, that will improve quickly. Their learning curve is much faster than possibly other players that are a little more stubborn, hard-headed, don't listen very well or know-it-alls. But what about this? If you see a hitter on another team in your area from the year before, or you can remember a player, a hitter on the other team that had a nice athletic swing, had a good athletic swing, looked pretty fluid at the plate, but chased a lot of bad pitches. That may be a player you look to add to your team if you feel confident teaching the plan A and plan two hitting approaches. If you've been with us for a few years here at 8020 Baseball, you're probably really getting confident or already confident teaching the plan A and plan two hitting approaches. And I think if you can coach these two plans up, plan A and plan two, your plan A is your less than two strike approach and plan two is your two strike hitting approach. If you can coach these up, there's a lot of athletic players out there, a lot of athletic swings, good swings that are just chasing bad pitches that simply need a plan up there. So going into next season, keep an eye out for that. The hitting approach itself, plan A and plan two, is a massive competitive advantage. I'm reading fan graphs. I'm a big fan of fangraphs.com and they get into some really deep stuff. It's professional baseball related. It's mostly all major league baseball stuff and they get into some really deep stuff and they're all analytics and they're super smart people over there. I'm I'm a big fan. I've been a member for years. Barely a day goes by. I don't visit the site or read an article or two, but they continue to talk about Z-Swing as a stat. They continue to talk about Z-Swing. And so these are a very advanced group of people that analyze baseball and statistics and all this, but they continue to Z-Swing. Z-Swing for those of you unfamiliar with it, stands for zone swing. So their swing rate in the strike zone, the swing rate percentage in the strike zone. So what amount of pitches do the hitters swing at that are in the strike zone? There's a huge flaw with this when you're coaching a hitter with less than two strikes. The strike zone is large. The average major league strike zone is like well over 400 square inches and trying to square up a round baseball with a round bat. Inches matter. And you're talking over 400 square inches of real estate that they got to cover trying to get a hit. And, and it's not a whole lot less for your 12 or 13U, definitely going to be less for your 6Us and 7U players. But it's still, so let's just say we cut it in half. It's still well over 200 square inches that a 7 or 8U hitter has to cover if you are counting Z swing. So, if, hey, they swing at a lot of pitches in the zone. Well, is that their hitting zone or is that the strike zone? Even the best hitters at every single level have holes in their swing. In other words, they have areas that they don't hit very well, even in the strike zone. Take the best hitter in baseball like Mike Trout or Soto or any of these guys. If you go look at their heat maps, their chart, it basically breaks up the strike zone into like nine squares. There are going to be squares out of those nine that are blue or definitely 
the production is much lower than it should be. So red or bright red would be their hitting zone, their real hot zone. Even the best hitters at every single level don't cover the entire strike zone consistently. Every hitter is going to have a slightly different and sometimes quite a bit different. Some hitters are going to really hit that low pitch, the low part of the strike zone better, and some hit the upper part of the strike zone. Some are a little better on the inside and some are better on the outside. When I say outside, outer third of the plate versus inner third of the plate and the lower half of the strike zone versus the upper half of the strike zone or to the lower third, upper third, middle. Hitters are going to vary. Not a lot, but they will vary. Nobody in all of baseball, in the history of baseball, I don't know about Ted Williams. I don't think they had this kind of, maybe they have hitting hot zone charts and stuff that they can back test and, and figure out with video. But anyways, he might've been the only one who had mostly red on the strike zone. When I say red, that means they really hit those pitches well. That area, they really hit those pitches well. They produced a lot. But every hitter alive, from Mike Trout all the way down to the five-year-old who's just starting, is going to have spots in the strike zone in the Z swing area that they shouldn't be swinging at with less than two strikes. This is a huge competitive advantage. Not enough coaches, in my opinion, over the years, my experience has shown that not enough coaches emphasize what pitches to swing at. But a lot of times you'll hear it was in the strike zone. You got to cover, you got to hit pitches in the strike zone, looking for pitches in the strike zone. Yes, with two strikes. No, with less than two strikes. You're looking for pitches in the hitter's swing zone, the hitter zone. We should call it the HZ swing stat. This is the stat that matters. So Z swing is used by and large, or a stat of that nature is used to determine does a hitter swing at pitches in the zone. Now, I'm a big fan of the stat outside of the swing, or I should say swinging it outside of the strike zone. That that stat I think is much more indicative and much more useful because flat out it just says like the pitch is outside of the strike zone. And for almost every hitter, pitches outside of the strike zone are not going to be pitches that are high productivity pitches to swing at for almost any hitter. Very few, maybe Vladimir Guerrero Sr. Can't think of a lot. Ichiro maybe. There might have been a couple hitters over the years that had some red that really went outside of the strike zone, but not much. I mean, it's, it's just not a good plan for 99.99% of hitters. But I saw that and I thought, oh, there's definitely some undervalue. So if you're putting a team together, and this has to do with picking players or getting t- players together. If you're putting the team together, you're at tryouts, you're looking at a team or you're looking at players to add definitely those players that are high hustle coachable players that you think that you can really take off with that learning curve but also hitters that have nice fluid nice swings but just swing at a lot of pitches they just swing at everything they're swinging at things up by their eyes they're swinging at pitches in the dirt they just have no approach if a hitter has no approach but a pretty good looking swing that would be a good player to add to your team of course this doesn't guarantee success with that hitter maybe they got bad eyesight i always thought as a as a coach as a coach at the high school level and above, definitely the college level and above, definitely college and pro ball. And I know pro ball has been doing this for a lot of years in colleges. I mean, testing vision, testing a hitter's vision, that's a big deal. And I think that even as a youth coach, and this goes into my second tip, I definitely recommend, I know this sounds really different and kind of odd to some of you, I'm sure it does, but I'm a big fan of telling every player and their parents to go get their eyes checked if they haven't already or recently had the eyes checked, the vision checked. Some of your players are already dialed in. Maybe they have glasses or contacts and they're already on top of that. But you may have a few players, may have one, 
that's slipping through the cracks that may need support from the eye doctor, the ophthalmologist. And I think it's worth having all your players checked on that. I think it's very good to check that. Definitely think it's worth your time to ask all your players, hey, when's the last time you went to the doctor to get your your vision checked? Doesn't hurt. And kids' vision, we all, I mean, even adult, the vision changes. So it might have been good a couple years ago, but then it starts, you know, as adults, a lot of us have made it to adulthood and now we need reading glasses. I was told when I was 20 or 25, eventually my eyes would start to give and I would have to get some reading glasses. That hasn't happened yet, but it very well may happen soon. Vision changes. Some of your players Unfortunately, there are those circumstances. In fact, the, over the last just month, I've seen in my neighborhood alone, I've seen three kids all about seven to 10 years old with continuous glucose monitoring systems and insulin pumps. They're type one diabetics. I'm a type one diabetic. I got diagnosed with type one diabetes back in 1995. I've been a long time, 27 year diabetic, taking 40, 50,000 injections in my life. Stuck my finger plenty of times, but I do remember when I first got diabetes, and when the blood sugar isn't always under great control, your vision gets really blurry. In fact, I remember in eighth grade, right before I got diagnosed, I couldn't read the board. I went from being able to read the board, the whiteboard, the chalkboard, to not being able to read it. So there's things like that that do come into play. And I remember playing baseball. It was it was really hard. This is something definitely worth getting your parents and the players on board with getting their eyes checked. And if you do this over the course of a few seasons, I'd lay odds that you're probably going to find a player, maybe two, that benefit benefits from doing this. When I say benefits, their vision, whether they have to add some kind of glasses or contacts, can be greatly improved because hitting a baseball, hitting a baseball is so challenging to do. And if you don't see very clearly as a hitter, it's hard to do if you have 20-10 vision, much less blurry vision or some kind of vision issues. So I definitely think this is a small thing and it doesn't take a lot of time. In fact, as a coach, this shouldn't take really any of your time. You just reach out to the parents, the players, or the families, and just set forth at the beginning of the season and say, here's it, here, here's why. Hitting a baseball is so hard. We all want to be good hitters. We want all of our kids to be good hitters. We want to have success at hitting every, nobody wants to go out there and strike out a lot. Well, you got to see the ball clearly as a start. That's the starting point, being able to see the ball clearly. And then from there you can work the approach and then the swing. But if you're not seeing it, it's fuzzy, it's this, that, and the other. I know it sounds kind of odd to recommend this, but um, vision and hitting go hand in hand. If you're telling players and you're sending them up there and telling them, this is the area in which you're looking to hit. This, this is the area in which pitches should come through with less than two strikes. This is your hitting area. You got to cover the strike zone. You got to cover this area with two strikes or you got to cover the fringes of this area. That stuff happens really fast and you're talking a matter of inches. If the vision's not on point, it makes it really hard to do. All right, let's segue quickly. I, I follow all sorts of coaches. I read up on a lot. I was reading an article just this morning from a strength coach, a college and professional strength coach who works with baseball players and all sorts of athletes. And he was sharing out some really great unilateral. There was a unilateral bilateral study. Basically what that means, for those of you, a lot of you are familiar with this. Those of you that aren't familiar, unilateral is essentially single leg exercises versus two-legged exercises. Think of a pistol squat, a single leg squat, versus your typical two-legged squat, which most weight rooms are, are running those. They're doing two-legged. There's also the split squat version where one is out in front of the other. Unilateral work is very interesting. And I think this time of year, it's very important, even with younger players, that they're working and getting stronger and better balance on one leg. The reason I say that is pitchers, when they throw the ball, when pitchers in baseball let go of the ball, almost all of the weight is on their front leg, their landing leg, their league leg, their post leg, almost all of it. In fact, 
If you go look at major league pitchers, pick your favorite pitchers or pitchers for your local team, and you go look at images of them pitching, you just type in their name and mechanics or pitching delivery, many of them, their back foot will be off the ground when they're still in control of the ball. Just before they release the ball, you actually see their back foot off the ground. They have one foot touching the ground, one leg. All of their weight is essentially on one leg or it's getting distributed at that time to one leg. Same with hitting. With hitting, it's 50-50 to start, and I think that's great advice for hitters. You want that 50-50 weight distribution early to start, and you want to kind of move into your, as the pitch is getting delivered, and you want to be 50-50 as long as you can, but eventually, most of the weight is going to go on that front leg. Most of the body weight and the force is going to be on one leg, that front leg. This is good. This is natural. This is how it's supposed to go down. Think about running. When you run, you never run with two legs at the same time. You always have one leg in the air while the other one is pushing off the ground. Walking, same thing. Almost all sports are unilateral by nature in that one leg is pushing one foot all the way up through the hips and the, the lower core or pushing off the ground one leg at a time not simultaneously. A couple exceptions of this, of course, would be like volleyball, where they're going up for a spike, volleyball or basketball, if you're going up for a rebound off two, that's definitely, but even in basketball, there's a lot of one-legged jumps, a lot of one-legged dunks, layups. So it's definitely something that needs to be worked on. So here's my message. It's the off season for a lot of players going into the off season. I'm a big fan of single leg exercises. Those of you that showed up to past webinars, we broke this down. I shared out examples that work specifically for baseball players. Single leg exercises I believe are one of the most underrated if not the most underrated exercise thing that you can add for any level and it's body weight single leg body weight exercises are massively helpful not just for tying it into the movements on a baseball field specifically but also the balance factor the balance factor you also get the hips and the core involved more when you're working with one leg at a time or a split squat stance another big benefit of single leg exercises is that you can do them out on a baseball field and get good effect because because if you're doing like a two-legged normal squat out on the baseball field, most kids aren't going to see a huge benefit from doing squats with body weight. Body weight squats, not a huge benefit. Is there a benefit? Yes, any exercise is good, right? I'm a big fan of doing both unilateral and bilateral work, but something really cool about doing single leg exercises or more of them out there with a baseball team is that you can do it out on the field with no extra equipment, no weight, no bars, no dumbbells, because you've taken that body weight, now you've put it onto one leg, and typically that's way more than enough resistance to get strength and balance. And also you're teaching balance. For young kids, things like balance and stability are just as important as raw strength. So this is a huge advantage. If you're not familiar with unilateral single leg exercises, definitely should look into that. Look into baseball stuff. There's some good stuff out there, unilateral exercises. I'm a big fan. I'm not saying this should be your only plan of attack, but it definitely allows you to go out there on the field and do things like weight and strengthening in a 15 or 30 minute session out there on the field. And you can tie it in with your practice rather than having to go to the weight room or go to a workout gym, you can do it out there on the field. So it's really great. You don't need that extra equipment. I really highly recommend this, not just for the practicality and the ease of being able to infuse it into a practice or at the end of practice or in the middle, but also for those other things like balance and stability, massive, way better doing single leg stuff, single leg squats, single leg balance routines, at a minimum lunges, lunge clocks, things like that. So I will be adding a workout, a training routine to the pitching course that I'm working on and developing right now. The goal is to have the courses ready to go, a pitching course that will teach you the five main parts of coaching 
coaching pitchers at the youth level, I mean, in, at any level, but really as a youth coach, really getting your pitchers better at these five things. And one of them is a strength component, strength, stability, physical health element. Those courses will be available on the 8020 Baseball website. The goal is to have them polished up, ready to rock by the end of this year. So that gives you a lot of time or some time before we get into the spring season to, to learn it, to know exactly how to go out there and coach it up. But keep showing up here to the podcast, go over to the website. You got the drill design guide ready to go. It's 21 pages or so explaining the key elements, parts. It's not going to give you a drill. It's going to explain to you the parts you need to put into every drill, or you should try to put into as many drills as possible so you can design your own drills anytime, anywhere. It gives you the eight steps, the eight ingredients to a perfect or optimal drill. Go over there, get that. That's a no-brainer. Just to hit that real quick to the top of the website. If you have any questions about anything, please reach out. I love talking with coaches. I love all you coaches that reach out, email me. I love hearing from you. I love hearing about the success. I did get quite a few emails as this last season ended, sharing out the success of you coaches that are using the 80-20 baseball methodology, the 80-20 baseball system, if you per se, and have had a ton of success along the way using it. It's awesome. Love hearing those emails, but if you got questions, reach out. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Bo as in B-O, as I always like to say, Bo as in the American athlete version of Bo, not the French soap opera. B-E-A-U. Nope. Keeping it nice and sweet. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Send me an email. Give me your questions, thoughts, something you might want to hear discussed on the podcast. Go over to the website. Check it out over there. If you forget the email, go to the website. There's a contact form there. You can reach out with your questions on the website. Always great being here with all of you. Love the community, the 8020 baseball community that we got going. Love being here each week with you. I love the emails I'm getting, the feedback. You can follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball, 8020 underscore baseball. I know Twitter, it doesn't have the best reputation, but I do think for the coaching, the baseball coaching community, it's a really good spot. I really like it. Facebook, I'm trying to get more involved in some of those coaching. If, if you want to email me, if there's a coaching group you have set up, you want, you know, I, I look, I'm looking to join some of those groups to add some value to help out there. Reach out to me, coachbo8020baseball.com or follow me on Twitter. Until next week, take care of yourselves, your health, your families, your friends, and take this out there. Get ready. Prepare yourself for this upcoming next season. Get ready for the fall or the spring season by getting this information ready to be actionable. Use it. Test it. Try it within your personality, within your strengths. All right. Take it out there. Use it. I'll see you next week here. Until then, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.